Hey everybody, Chris Lindsay here, and you're listening to Pitch List. Join us on a deep dive into the heart of what makes writing songs and making music so magical. Let's find out what makes songwriters tick, and along the way, remember why we love music. Welcome to Pitch List. Our guest today is what you'd call an old soul. He has been wildly successful in the last few years, but also maintained his down-to-earth personality and his laid-back vibe. If you wanted someone to help you make a great record, he'd be your guy. In addition to a red-hot production career, he's also a fantastic songwriter, and he has recently released an amazing record called Blue Umbrella on which he wrote every single track with the songwriting legend, Burt Baccarat. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Lindsay, and here's my talk with Daniel Tashin. Good morning. It's a sunny, beautiful uh, summer morning here in Nashville, and I am excited because I have an old friend that yeah. I have probably known uh, 20 more? Probably 20, more, 25 maybe. 25 years. We have... The incredible Daniel Tashin here this morning. Hey, how so are you? Glad to be here, Chris. I'm really excited to see you and uh, and and be back in this beautiful space out here that you have. And uh, thanks for having me. Oh, listen, we're so excited. I think uh, Dana's been working on this one for quite a while. Um, we were talking before, and we might as well keep talking. You've been out in this space even before Amy and I had this with Paul Kennerly and Emmylou Harris. Yeah, and actually, um, what I saw when I came out here was sort of a the kind of setup that you see nowadays when you go to a lot of like you know uh, track guys sort of writing spaces where there'll be some monitors set up and a laptop kind of thing. But it was a tape machine, mm-hmm. and they had built a little little studio out here, and um, this made a big impression on me as a ten year old. You know, uh, wow. Yeah. Now your parents were musicians. Yeah, that's and you, right. Did you guys live here when you were ten? Uh, that's when we moved here when I was okay. about ten years old. Yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, well, uh, my dad was um, playing in a bar band in New York. Uh, we lived in Connecticut, and um, and then you know I guess the story was that Emmy Lou stopped in there after a gig to kind of like top up the gas tank and maybe get a bite to eat, and saw my parents performing and said, "How about y'all get on?" our bus and be part of this band. And, um, you know, my mom, uh, sort of, um, decided to stay with the kids, but my dad took the job and we moved to California for five years where they, where they moved, uh, and lived in the Valley in Thousand Oaks. And then when Amy moved here in 1985, we moved as well. And, um, you know, got into the little, a little ranch house in, in Green Hills. Um, and, uh, that's where I grew up. Wow. I guess I had assumed when I met you with Troy Burgess, somehow I had a connection in my mind that you were from the East Coast. But, and mm-hmm. you were, yeah. but you had been in California and mm-hmm. here. And uh, Hillsborough High School? Went to Hillsborough High School, yeah. Right on. Yep. As, I mean, I probably didn't go more often than I went, but, but yeah, that would be the name of the school that I went to. <laughs> I have a son that has a similar story. A, <laughs> Do you? a musician now. And a skipper? Yeah, he's uh, he's just now starting to release things oh, on good. Spotify, but 
I would drop him off at Hillsborough High School, and I did not know this, but he would just wait till I left and go out the other door. He just wouldn't Something go to school. Something about the place sort of inspires that because it's so big and there's so many students that you just get lost in the shuffle so much that it almost feels like it doesn't matter if you're there or not. <laughs> <laughs> so if it doesn't matter to them, it certainly matters to me. Yeah. Yeah. He just didn't like school. Mm-hmm. He just didn't. sounds like y'all are kindred spirits. Well, it certainly hasn't hurt your career. Well, I mean, I'm one of those people that, you know, my, my, my passions in life develop pretty early and were pretty specific. You know, they had to, had to do with playing instruments and recording myself and, and um, getting better at that. So it wasn't, you know, like I was just skipping to go to the park and throw the Frisbee around. I was skipping to, to work on my craft, something that was important to me. So um, I got started on my passions early. That's you know, great. Uh, and I kind of recommend that if you feel a strong um, magnet, magnetism towards something, you know, and you're, you're 16 years old, just, you know, go for it. Yeah, because those are some of the most valuable years for you. Mm-hmm. There's another path. Uh, Dana went to Belmont, and I think I have a lot of respect for that path also because you're doing music and you're being trained. And um, But at that, that, that's like a critical time period, I agree. Well, your, I, tried to, I tried to get into Berkeley because I was playing uh, at this writer's night that a woman was running named Deborah, I can't remember her last name, but she was this really sweet lady who ran this writer's night and she would let me play as like a 15 year old. And she said, you know, you would be great at Berkeley. And I applied, I sent my demos in and stuff like that. And I didn't get in. I, I had the rejection letter and oh. I, had it, I had it like framed for a minute because they wanted me to be able to sight read. Um, yeah. And I was like, isn't this where you go to learn to sight read? You know, I thought it's sort of like you can't get, I don't know. It seemed a little weird. So then fast forward to this past year, I wanted to take some online courses. And again, you got to have a bachelor's degree, which I don't have. I have an associate's degree in photography, but I don't have a bachelor's degree. So I couldn't, again, take their some of their online classes. So I've been rejected by Berkeley twice. <laughs> well, maybe they regret that now. You know, I doubt it. Well, okay, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, being good at something is great, and being able to read uh, will give a musician some other gig opportunities, mm-hmm. but so many great players don't read music. I mean, it's just, it's not a, it's not critical. It's certainly in Nashville, it doesn't do you any good. Right. Now, if you got, if you're playing for the uh, Emmys in, mm-hmm. in LA Orchestra, yeah, mm-hmm. and you need to be able to sight read. Yeah. But my mom can do it. You know, she's taught herself basically to read bass. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't be that hard. Right. No, it, no, I, I went, I was in the band program in school, so I can read. You just but, have to have your eye on the bar that you're not playing that's coming yeah, up next. That's right? right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. You just kind of have to read ahead. But, but some of those players are just, I mean, just uh, unbelievable. You know? Oh, the film score musicians are yeah. un- unreal, the best in the world. But that's cool that you can read. I can, but I've never used it in Nashville. Really I've been here 25 it. years. I've never used it. Never Every now and it. then, I'll write a chart and I'll sketch out a little lick, you know, yeah. or a little rhythmic thing. Yeah. But no. Let's let's talk about this. When I first met you, you were with Carla at Big Yellow Dog. Right, right. When did you sign with Carla? And you're still with her, right? Yeah, still there. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that would, would have been, let's see... Um, man would it be like around 2011 or something like that okay uh and yeah you know i was getting married and you know i i've been talking to her for a while and 
you know, I, I just liked her energy a lot. And she said, well, you're getting married now. You're going to need a job. And <laughs> yeah. something sounded really true about that. You know, I thought that's really a good point. You know, I should have a job because I was playing, I was doing my own songs, but I was playing in cover band uh, for, you know, my rent money um, and um, an 80s cover band. And uh, so, yeah, I did. I took a job and uh, and I was really um, kind of reluctant about it. I was like, look, let's just let's just keep this draw really low and everybody's expectations really low. Like, let's do like, you know, two hundred dollars a week or something. she was like, no, we can't do that. You know, but. But uh, I didn't want the pressure of um, feeling like I needed to really cur- curb what I was doing into what was what was getting cut, and I didn't want that. So I I kind of had sort of put one foot in, but then I kind of realized uh, as I got into it more that that's not the way to do it. Hmm. You know. Well, I do appreciate the low stre- lower stress. Yeah. Of not, you know. We've known people, mutual friends who had hits and then negotiated, you know, massive draws mm-hmm, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a lot of pressure. And, you know, you come in three years down the road and they're like, You're, you know, we're in a pretty serious hole here. Yeah. With this. And then, you know, yeah. it's, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's good for creativity to have that sort of money thing. Right. On, on your back. Yeah. And I didn't need much money really until we started having kids. And then you kind of, you, you know, you yeah. need, need more money. But but um yeah, I, I mean, all what, what I would say about Carla is there's never, I mean, I've never found a more, you know, publishers can sometimes have all the like grace and charm of like a scud missile. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just sort of notoriously a bit unfeeling. But this is someone, uh, Carla Wallace is someone who really uh, recognizes uh, true soul. I'm not saying in myself, but in, in musicians and writers. And, you know, she's like, you know, really, you know, um, has I think a good um, sense of uh, what's good about music and what music really is. It's sort of meant to be kind of um, something sort of magical and inspiring, and 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 not something that is approached always strategically. You know. Yeah, and you know she's proven she's an incredible uh, talent scout mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. nurturer of talent for two reasons. If you look at a roster that just incredibly successful riders but they stood by me for 10 years with with no hits and that's the I other thing a, and then i got a, a a big song and then they were like okay we're gonna we're gonna hang hang but i mean that's unusual for someone to stay that long i think it was just because i was just relentlessly positive <laughs> well and again i'm gonna give carla another compliment she's done that with a lot of her riders mm-hmm. and 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 you know for every, for everyone listening it is unusual for a publisher to but but she's totally different, man. Mm-hmm. She believes in people. She sticks with people, and she's been rewarded for that strategy. Mm-hmm. There's another strategy with some of the bigger corporate publishers where like cut this big deal, and then if nothing, ha- you know, if it doesn't work, well, on to the next one, you mm-hmm. know. And she's not like that at all. And I've always had a great deal of respect for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you not? Yeah, that's somebody I talk to a lot and like bounce stuff off of, you know. And and I've found her advice to be really. Uh, sound yeah yeah so reading another thing I didn't know about you um, photography Mm -hmm. so you went to school you just told us you had an associate's degree was this a thing where 
you got frustrated with music and you're not doing that or you, it's not, you know, it's not going to be your profession or talk. Tell us about that. Well, now I'm on to watercolor painting because I've sort of decided that that sort of fits my personality a bit more than photography. And I have a nice camera, but, um, uh, and I do enjoy pictures. I do enjoy taking pictures, but, um, I sort of moved away from that. But what I liked about art school was developing sort of a language around, uh, talking about works of art and I, you have to take like a history of film and you know lots of art history classes and you sort of kind of look at the way that artists sort of interpret living in in the world and uh, throughout history and the way they the, the way that they describe their you know their their feelings and and um, you know you'd have to do these sort of artist statements when you'd put put a picture or something up and you sort of talk about your work and what you're doing in it and what it means within the context of everything else that's going on in the art world. And, and it's all a lot of hot air, but the thing that's cool about it is, is when you go and go into record production, you start to use some of those same sort of techniques. And what they do is they sort of give an artist a, a, a perspective or sort of say, you know, you're, you're, you might not, totally be able to articulate what you're doing but this is what it is you know uh um this is the things that you're commenting on and reacting to this is this is you know and so it's helpful in record production yeah you know? that was that was going to be my next question it sounds mm-hmm. like you you find it and I, I i get that um because art is art mm-hmm. and artists are artists and they're you know they're very similar even like in movie making i've noticed having mm-hmm. friends in that and so it it is something that has helped you in your production career but i kind of had this moment where i got bored with photography because like i looked at a picture that i took we were sitting somewhere and i took a picture of i think a gazebo or something with flowers and then one of my daughters had had painted the same thing and I thought, man, this painting has way looks way more like the gazebo and has way more of the energy of the gazebo than this photograph does. Mm-hmm. So I kind of thought, you know, pictures are sort of a bit boring unless they're of people's faces, and and those can be quite interesting. Um, but I much prefer a drawing or or a painting of someone's face to a photograph. Yeah, uh, you know, Nathan Chapman, producer, mm-hmm. uh, he's gotten really into photography, and I I do it too for fun. Uh, he said to me one day, he said, do you know how you become a great photographer? And I said, why, how? And he goes, take pictures of famous people. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? He's right. Yeah. It is. And it's those faces. Yeah. You know, that's what people want to see. Yeah. Otherwise, it is a static shot in time mm-hmm. of, well, I think because your daughter sort of, even though at a young age, she doesn't know what she's doing, she's interpreting mm-hmm. the, how she feels about what she sees. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's harder to do with the camera to me yeah it is and it's it's hard to be interesting with a camera uh people can do it but yep. um but it's i think it's easier to, to to paint and draw and find the spirit of something that way yeah and so you paint now yeah i have a little you know bag that has some watercolors in it and, and some paper and you know i kind of I, I take it around with me if i go anywhere and it's sort of like knitting i don't know if you see people mm-hmm. when they're a bit like fidgety and they need yep. to do something with their hands i'll just have my my paints with me and and um uh, i have a water water brush that's already got the water in it so i don't really need anything uh you can take it to the beach i mean Sitting somewhere and just just staring off into space is quite hard for me. Uh, so painting is really comforting. Yeah. 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 And I find I'm asking, but 
if I do something like that, maybe work on a poem or mm-hmm. any anything, uh, it helps me. Like I can solve a music problem better by doing that than just staring at the problem. You know what I mean? It's right. like somehow Letting it your... frees your brain to think yeah, better about I the like, other thing. That may be what it is now that you mention it. You know, that may be what it is. Maybe a brain thing. Yeah, because you know what songwriters say it all the time. It's like you're sitting here just beating your head on the table for two hours on a lyric, and then you walk up to go pee in the bathroom, and all of a sudden it hits you. You're like, it's this. Yeah, you have know? you ever heard the phrase epiphany? <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I like it. It's definitely a thing, man, <laughs> epiphany. It happens all the time. Or if you just walk, I'll walk to the house to get coffee for everybody, and then when I'm walking to the house, it'll just pop in my brain. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 I think just, you know, quizzing or puzzling at the problem can really be a dead end street. I wonder if the astronauts, when they, you know, had to figure out how to, with a great movie with Tom Hanks, where they had to figure out how to slingshot them around the, I mean, when I wonder if they just took a walk and, you know, the, the engineers to figure that out. Cause that's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I bet they did. They may know about that technique and yeah. then. I, I think it is too, man. And I think of these new engineers on a SpaceX team mm-hmm. who are already plotting how they're going to get, you know, the first starships that go to Mars are going autonomously, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how they I'm even do a, that? I'm not a space traveler. <laughs> no, I would be. If you I were, would, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm so into it. Amy you are, just, you are, oh, yeah. Amy is so sick of me talking about oh, it. Oh, you're into, you want to go to space. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I wanted to, when I was a child that I thought my astronaut would be a good job for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Uh, but now I'm like, oh, I got to know. Well, you're kind of an astronaut. Yeah. We all are. You kind of go to space. Yeah, you can't. That's, I think I try to explain that to my wife. She's like, let's go to Istanbul. I'm like, I'm already there in my mind. I'm like, <laughs> i'm already there yes so now talk to me about your because obviously and we're going to get into your production and you've just absolutely killed it obviously and everybody everybody listening has already figured that out they picked you (laughs) up if they didn't look you up they knew you and we're going to get into that but i want to talk about because you're a writer man okay okay and then you've begun to be a producer too but i want to i'm curious about your balance Uh uh-huh well, I don't curious about my balance too. I mean, I don't really know if I know what it is. I mean, I, I, you know, you 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 know this as well as I do because you've been doing this for a minute. But you know, it's hard when you wake up in the morning of like deciding what you should focus your energy on and what things you know have potential and what things sort of you know. It's tough. It's about time. It's about time management, and uh, you know. Um, I get I get very seduced by production problems because I see situations that I could be useful in and and I like people a lot and I especially if people are kind and good-natured and seem to be really cool I want to help them you know uh, and I, if I see a situation I could be helpful in it's very alluring to me but it may not be the best you know use of my time as far as um, what's really gonna serve me in some uh, I don't know or yeah I hear that, and I, I know, and I've struggled in the past with, like, you know, you want to maximize your time. But at the same time, man, it's such a mysterious thing that I, I wonder if it's better that you are like that. You know, it's mm. like not everything has to be a business opportunity. Or, well, believe me, You it's know what not. I mean? <laughs> 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 so you've got that down. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do, too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's another place. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I get it. You're, you're like, maybe I need to not be messing with this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it is a balance. That's why I use that word. Um, so would you but say I that, do you, think that yeah, we go ahead. T- I do think that you tend to get what you deserve. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're somebody that really wants to be a hero all the time, you'll get in situations where you're really bending over backwards to like, you know, um, working with someone who's maybe their timing isn't great. And then you spending hours on there, like, like moving their timing around cause you want to make them sound good and something like that. You want to be a hero, you know? And it's like the ego you want to, your ego wants to be, you know, you want to be, I don't know. It's just, it's a funny, I love this. Keep a, going, it, man. I, I'm a victim. I'm a, well, I'm a well, victim. It's, I it's do sort this of to like myself. We, we do the, we do. And I do too. And we deserve what we get because it's really, it's, it's, it's how we look at ourselves in the mirror and what we want to think about ourselves. Like I'm a, you know, right. I'm, I'm a guy I'm, that can I'm, fix yeah, your shit for you. Fi- yeah, and you're going to walk what, out of here loving me, whatever. And then you only yeah. do, you know, you do as many of those things as, as you got to do before you sort of graduate and realize, yeah, I just, I don't, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to, you know, do something else. <laughs> what, what, what's the, what is that? What is the something else? Well, working with people that, you know, have better timing right, or, or, right. or, yeah. uh, have, you know, you don't have to spend as much time melodying their voice mm-hmm. or, or, or people that, you know, the problems are so vast, so varied and, and the red flags are there if you want to see them. But sometimes red flags are like kind of, enticing to problem solving people i mean i'm right i am a problem solver you know and it's like a lot of people you know it's like sometimes you know uh, people just want to complain you know and it's very hard for guys like you and me to just sit and listen to someone complain about a problem because we immediately want to go well here you know here's what we're going to do you know uh yep and i I don't know what that characteristic is but i've definitely got it you know, and you probably do too. I, I do. Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting a good, uh, this is good. This is good because it is, you know, Mark Bright yes. producer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, he told me when I was first starting out, the first couple things I produced, I got to kind of know him a little bit and he, I mean, done, I don't know. I've no, no, but you know who I'm talking yeah, yeah. about. So super nice guy. And he had done it a while and he said, Hey, if you don't, if you're not willing to mortgage your house to work with this act and record them a record and then don't go do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Like you, you need to be able to mortgage your home, record this entire record on your money and then go sell it to Sony. And if you're not willing to do that, you don't need to be involved. That's the Francis Ford Coppola style, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. So I, I didn't take that advice, but I think it's really good advice. Yeah, that could be. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes the only, only problem with that is sometimes I don't know how good something is. And that's and 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 I, I admire someone like Mark who really like feels like they know <laughs> this is good. <laughs> I mean, you do get a sense. You do sometimes yeah. get an instinctive sense like this is a good thing. But but yeah, sometimes no, things are good and you don't you don't know they are. But no. the joy of working with people who are really fantastic is cannot be understated mm-hmm. when you're when you're in a room where just for me when i'm in a room working with people and i'm just like how the hell did i get in here mm-hmm. you know what i mean this is like crazy i just have to hit record yeah you know and that that's, that's where good. that's what i that's what's amazing you know well you got in there because you're a gifted songwriter and a um you know uh talented producer and engineer and all those things and you've been working on it a while and that's how you get there yeah that is how you get there um so there's another part of this I want to talk about because researching you, um, 
in the beginning, you signed with Electra mm-hmm. at yes, 19. Right. Yeah. So talk to us about that process. Was that a dis- ultimately disappointing? We like to talk on the show about troubling, trying times. Because oh God, I think, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? And I think it really helps. I could tell the, you some stories. The, yeah, we, we, we want them. Because a lot of people listening to the podcast are just starting out. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you start out, you face a lot of adversity. So we love to hear very successful people like you talk about that. So talk, can you talk about that? I would say my primary adversity at that time in my life was was ego-oriented, where I really wanted to prove... I remember telling my mother, I read that Joni Mitchell had dropped out of... Uh, school as a sophomore to focus on her uh, craft and I said I wanted to drop out and my mom said Senator you are no Joni Mitchell Uh, (laughs) you know she was just sort of aware that there was a gap between my ability and Joni Mitchell's at at, at my age and rightfully so so I wasn't allowed to drop out which which was probably fine but but um I really wanted to prove that I could do everything myself and I had written with some good songwriters some older you know chaps that were been doing it a while and you know had some experience writing songs but I just sort of put all that stuff aside because it sounded commercial to me and I wanted to really show everyone my perspective and do it my way and all I wanted it to say all songs written by Daniel Tashin on the bottom of it and I don't know why I wanted to do that I guess I just it was my ego that wanted to you know basically do everything myself and but your so, heroes maybe also yeah, your heroes maybe did some that. of my heroes were doing that so um or I thought they were, I don't know. Uh, so um, I think if I had learned to collaborate, I could have saved myself a lot of trouble and learned a lot along the way. And, I, and, I, and it was later that I, that I got into collaboration. But, but um, so my early stories are, are uh, stories of just kind of ego blows and, and things not like, you know, just being very, um, um, what's the word, obstinate and kind of like, you know, sort of, um, a bit stubborn about things like that. And, and, and also if things didn't, didn't work out, I would, I would definitely look for a somewhere to put blame, you know, mm-hmm. instead of on, well, this has to be something that I did, you know, and it may not be something that I did, but I definitely didn't guard against, uh, unfortunate things happening to me by like <laughs> being very magnanimous and affable and collaborative right. in terms of the way that I was working with the teams that were around me. You know, I would be like really rude to people and stuff and just kind of had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I don't know why. That's hard to imagine. You know, yeah, I, I mean, think I've it was, known you, I've, like uh, I said, well, we've no, known I you. Think, I, I you're the, one in, of the nicest guys. That's hard to imagine. I think it was insecurity because I, I remember, um, at the same time that T-Bone Burnett was working on my record, he was working on two other records, which were st- astonishingly good. One was Gillian Welch's first record, okay. which I had actually taken T-Bone to go and see Gillian and Dave playing, and and because of something that I liked, they were friends of mine, and I liked them, and they met, and and then the other one was the first Wallflowers record, and they were sort of simultaneously kind of doing, and and the lyrics on that record were on the Wallflowers record and the Gillian record were were so far beyond what at my at 19 years old I, I was capable of getting together that I just felt tremendous insecurity about my my perspective as an artist I didn't have really one I was just kind of like just starting out in the world and I just didn't really I didn't really have a viewpoint or I hadn't really figured out how to articulate it or access it so I had a lot of insecurity uh, and I felt like comparing myself to these other artists who were already um their perspectives were 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 much more um 
formu- formed, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and so I just, I, I think underneath everything, I had a lot of insecurity and I needed more time, sort of a bit of a slow learner and slow burner. You know, I had, I needed more time to develop what I was doing. And so my heart, heartache lasted for a good long while until I think when I was about 24, 25, my grandmother said, I'm going to get you some guitar lessons. And, and she paid for, uh, I think she paid $5,000 for me to have six months of lessons with this guy named Justin Thompson. Who, um, And that's when my uh, pain was alleviated and my internal sort of ego crisis was alleviated because it opened up my songwriting by... Um, injecting all these new new colors into my paint box in terms of chordal uh, things. And, um, and simultaneously, I was sort of, you know, I'd been through, I'd gotten knocked down, but I still realized that my love for music and, and, and everything was strong enough to kind of, that I wasn't going to just, just stop doing it. So, so I, I kept, kept going. That's know. so interesting, man. I've not heard, you hear the story, you know, and unfortunately for you, you're being produced by a guy who's doing just, I mean, those are some high functioning acts, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and for you to be 19, I don't think it was helpful at all for you to be in those circles. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I said, it's probably very soul crushing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing is that your response to all that was to go woodshed on guitar. I love that. I think, man, that, that, that's great because mm. because you're not sitting around thinking, you know, nobody wants me, nobody wants what I do. You're like, I'm not I need to be better. You know? I think I reached that conclusion after I got dropped and my record sold like, you know, five thousand copies and we spent like almost a million dollars on it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, you know, making albums is a uh, is an expensive uh, learning curve. It takes millions. I had a older producer, uh, David Malloy. Yeah, David Malloy. I produced my first couple records, and he stopped me over there at Sony, uh, and he said, "We're chatting," and he's like, "Yeah, um, record producing is one of the uh, only professions in the world that requires millions of dollars to learn how to do it." And I thought, "You're crazy." I mean, I really did. I've walked away thinking. Why do these guys say shit like this? This yeah. is just nuts. But actually, you know, like you said, you that's part of your learning process. And I love your reaction to it. And I think for everyone listening, including myself, that is such a great reaction to any, any sort of, you know, adverse life things on your career. Fucking dig in, man. Mm-hmm. Dig in. D- take, take a vocal lesson. Take a guitar lesson open doors in your mind and um and and keep going that's great man oh well i don't know thank you no i do know i think it's great so many people can get bitter you know about things not working out or like you say blame other people or there's so many different ways Mm -hmm. humans have of coping with that uh the idea of getting back in the gym and getting stronger Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is the right one and and so few people do it well it's a compliment. I'm just complimenting yeah, you. I guess um you know, if you really if you really love something and you know, my love of music and record production just goes back to being a kid and uh it's my sort of default uh, happy place. So, you know, you want to try to get back there and uh I don't know, there's been several moments in my life that um I have felt pretty low and pretty demoralized and pretty sort of beaten down and um, mm-hmm. pretty rejected and pretty, um, you know, hopeless about things. And um, 
but I guess I guess I just love it a little bit more mm-hmm. than that feeling. Just yeah. a little more, like ten percent more. And you love it enough to where you just didn't stop. Didn't stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know I still go through um, uh, disappointments and difficult uh, difficult things. Um, you know, working with. Um, Artists that don't like any of my ideas, you know, it happens, mm-hmm. you know, I mm-hmm. like my ideas, but, but there's people that, you know, don't, you know, and, 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 uh, and they came to you, <laughs> they hired you. I guess you just get in these situations until you don't anymore. And then you start to, I think you start to like see it from afar a little more when yeah. someone's going to be like that, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm still get these kind of knuckleheads coming through my life every once in a while. It's just like a um, adversity and changing forms, you know, it's like a shapeshifter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah. And you know, when you have the kind of success uh, that you've had as a producer and not only that, but the kind of success with at act and act and acts that are high on the credibility scale, mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have everybody and their brother coming at you to try to work with them. Well, the other thing I figured out that I didn't realize is how many artists aren't really sort of at the front of the ship in terms of their careers. They're they're sort of more kind of in the stern, you know, uh, really. And the business side of whatever their team is on that side is 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 more driving the boat and bigger artists than you would think, you know, uh, you would, you would hear, you know, some of these names and think, well, they're obviously, you know, in the, in the front of the boat, but really they're not when you realize they're, they're kind of, they'll be really excited about what you're working on that, man, this is awesome. And then they go and meet with their record company and suddenly they're like, yeah, you know, going to go a different direction. (laughs) Yeah. This is, this is too, this is good. And, 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 you know, we want we want to go sell something that's like just a new and improved toothpaste. We don't right, really want a whole right, new right, right. tube. You know? And I, I mean, I don't know that we need to make a whole new tube or anything. I guess just these are the kind of things that you sort of find out, you know, that yeah. that, that um, they're just parameters that need to be sort of. And I understand. I mean, I'm not naive that if you're going to be, you know, on a major label and spending that much money to make something, you've got to sort of have a bit of a commercial kind of. But I don't know. I never, I never, I, I, first of all, I don't want to try to invent a new form of songwriting where it doesn't resemble, right. it doesn't resemble a popular song. I mean, it's a, it's sort of a commercial art form where you've got, you know. And probably, I'm asking, but Casey Musgraves, that, those records, I'd be surprised if that wasn't y'all in the studio doing whatever you wanted. Oh, absolutely. And okay. that's why she's a, sort of an exception to the, what we're talking about. here's the, uh, part B, mm. wildly successful. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, why mm-hmm. don't they look at that and go, hey, man, right. why don't we throw these talented people in the room and leave them the hell alone? Yeah. Some, certain people do that. You know, certain people will leave you alone. Um, and then other people kind of are just sort of like, you know, very micro managing kind of oriented to it well now that i've mentioned it so you know golden hour records you produce co-produce right right casey musgraves i mean you wrote seven of the tracks two grammys acm award cma award yeah um one of the grammys was album of the year yeah which is unusual yeah i don't know if i 
I'm sure it's been done before, but mm-hmm. it's unusual for a country record to win that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. I'm sure that's changed your life. Yeah. When you were making that record, did you think this is all going to happen or was just one of these records you were involved in and loved? Yeah, it was more like that. You know, was, um, we um, we had um, my uh, father-in-law and. Uh, does uh, different real estate things. And one of the people that was one of his clients and one of his friends was um, Cheryl Crow. And she, similar to yourself, has um, a nice sort of uh, barn kind of studio thing. And she had said, you know, she was aware of me maybe through him. And, and said, if Daniel wants to come out to my studio when I'm on the road and, and, and kind of try some stuff out out there, I think just, she's a very like, you know, magnanimous and giving Mm -hmm. person and, and a very kind person. Uh, and I had written with Ian and Casey a handful of songs, and I said, "Let's take these over to her her barn and record them," or or maybe Ian had suggested that. Then I he, maybe Ian had suggested that we we do some demos, and I had said, "Well, we, Cheryl's offered her place, so we went out there." And um, you know, it's it's a funny studio. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but there there's a door you can open, and there's like a stable on the ground floor with mm-hmm. all these horses in it, and there's a door you can open in the studio where like a sort of a horse's head kind of comes through. And so you'd be like walking down the stairs and there'd be like a horse. Yeah, I've not like been looking there. At I've you. seen so pictures, very, but yeah. It's very funny, um, but beautiful uh, place. And we just started getting some nice sounds out there. She has a wonderful uh, API console that she's had for a long time. One of the first things she she bought when she got some some dough. And mm-hmm. and she's been collecting fantastic gear her whole career. She has a, um, a, a Fairchild. Uh, wow. Like a, um, a really nice Fairchild and, and 251 uh, microphone. And I remember Casey saying, um, we were just up there doing our demos you know i remember casey saying like man it's so fun to sing on this mic and it was going through that that fair child and she was just having a great experience as a singer and my feeling about casey was just she's one of the best singers ever Mm -hmm. i remember seeing her on an award show singing uh, here you come again the dolly parton song and just thinking man if i could work with her sometime i just love her voice and yeah she's also just a very bright uh brilliant uh artist songwriter um uh, I don't have enough good things to say about her. She's just great, you know, uh, and definitely changed my life, you know, um, by um, believing in what we were doing so strongly that she was willing to just say, all right, this is going to be my record, you know, uh, which took some, um, I think, a bit of courage because I think, uh, uh, you know, not, 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 not only do I think, I know I was quite unproven at that point, uh, my abilities. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you're out at Cheryl Crow's place, and I'm guessing, but I'm asking, uh, the first few demos, quote, on demo, that you did out there were just probably magical, which made her want to just keep doing that. Because, you know, once you hit a little magic pocket, you just want to stay in it. Yeah. Kind of like baseball players. It's like a pitcher. If he's, you know, if he yeah. had something, some socks on and he pitches a no-hitter, man, he's wearing those socks. Yeah. Is it, was it kind of like that? Y'all just got yeah, something great. Yeah, kind of like that. We just got in a groove, and and um, you know, we we ended up taking some of the things that we did at, at uh, Cheryl's over to Sound Emporium and to House of Blues, and kind of adding a few mm-hmm. uh, little touches over there, and kind of you know. Then we went out to L.A. and mixed with uh, this guy Sean Everett, who um, Ian had, was a fan of from, I guess, some of the Blake Mills and War on Drugs things that that he had been involved with, and and. Um, so we got to know Sean a bit, and then that started to change our sort of perspective on the way that um, the the audio that we were 
making would be presented. You know, it's, it, there was a, it was a very collaborative process with Sean uh, in the mixing uh, phase, which uh, we then, you know, on this most recent thing that we did, we 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 worked with Sean again, and uh, um, yeah, uh, that was a eye opener as well. Yeah, so. Wow. Okay. So there's lots of new influences for her on these records, like yeah, a new and, team with you and it's Ian Fitchick, right? Yeah. And Ian uh, is a marvelous um, musician and mm-hmm. diplomat and, uh, um, you know, uh, encourager of, of artists and, uh, and, um, you know, um, it, it's, it's, it's wonderful to, um, to have something like that happen uh, in your life, uh, just a nice like sort of convergence of energies and of, of of talented people, and 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 to and then to have it be recognized in that way uh, mm-hmm. with your with your friends is 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 uh, it's a special thing, and um, um, I I, uh, I really um, it's one of the most amazing things that's ever happened to me uh, to be recognized like that. So, yeah. Uh, and it still sounds good, you know. It doesn't sound um, like uh, it doesn't have like gated snares that sound sort of right. silly on it, or or you know the cymbals don't. In fact, I don't think there's very many, maybe two or three cymbals on the whole thing at all. Wow, uh, it's not it's not annoying sounding. <laughs> uh, well, it's very organic, which you know, if you go to the basics, use real instruments. Record yeah. them neutral recording. Yeah, I always, Craig Alvin, yeah, wonderful yeah. engineer. Uh, he's very old school, very, uh, very good sounds. I always equate it to if you're uh, decorating or building a home, uh, if you put a Mexican terracotta floor in the kitchen, thirty years later, it's like still in style. Still looks good. Yeah, yeah no one walks in and says that's like a dated seventies yeah, floor. Yeah, it's totally. like it still looks good. It still looks good. Same thing with B three. B three. You just put a little B three on a track, no problem. Nobody, it's going to be twenty years later. Nobody's saying shit. Good. It's not going to sound <laughs> like the eighties. That's funny, man. That's that's good. That's a good. Uh, that's a good tip. Yeah, it's just like that. You know, guitar, acoustic guitar, B three, uh, just the the standards. You know, and there's there's certain um, kinds of record making that is. Um, it's like a. Um, aggressive kind of sound that um, uh, it's like um, when you're listening to a song that's quiet and then all of a sudden bang it gets really loud it's like it's like a trick that kind of works but it only works one time you know and and right and and uh, um, yeah so you never want to beat up the listener you know you just Mm -hmm. kind of want to you want to sort of but it's a tough challenge because you know there's a lot of competition for people's attention and so the easy way to get people's attention is to be sort of uh aggressive and Mm -hmm. um but it it it, uh it doesn't um it doesn't wear well over time that aggression i don't think right and an album like the record twist and shout you know right well that's the thing there's always exceptions but like the record you guys made that's the kind of thing you can like old school spin the record like just put it on spotify and just let it play all the way through so it's like a whole experience i think you get that from making it the way y'all made it you know well i love records and i like to listen to them and one thing i that sort of puzzles me about spotify is why if you start playing a record at the first song and then it immediately switches to another yeah artist and so we got to get spotify to understand that albums are cool to listen to all the way through right 
Hang on, everyone. We'll be right back with more Daniel Tashin. Stay with us for a really cool original track from Daniel. When the dark falls around us When the moon is high above And the dawn is a distant city When the stars fall out of love We can ride in the wind We can find a place to hide All alone, alone with the night on our side We can ride When our hearts cross like rivers And our dreams They collide with the cold world And it echoes against the longing inside We can ride in the wind We can find a place to hide All alone, alone with the night on our side, we can ride. So, I want to talk about Burt Baccarat. Okay. Now, were you always a fan? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, uh, me too. 
Um, Tell us all about it, like how you met him. Okay. How the whole. So, okay. You've got a re- he, Daniel has a record, all co-writes with Bert, and it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I want to hear all about how that all works. Okay. Um, well, uh, this is somebody who um, a woman named Mel- Melody Federer introduced me to. She out of the blue. I mean, you know, I've been following his music all my life. It's sort of been like beside me you know when i was a young child it was raindrops keep falling on my head from butch cassidy and then and then as i got older you know it was arthur's theme and then and then uh naked eyes doing no not naked eye is that who did um uh, always something there to remind i think it was naked eyes but uh something and then yep. you know and then followed me through the 80s and then into the 90s and that's what friends are for and then um into the 90s with uh the late you know uh, the, the Elvis Costello uh, collaboration. Mm-hmm. So every decade of my life and my growth as a musician and uh, was was accompanied by the music of Burt Backrack. And yeah. um, so anyway, this woman approached me out of nowhere and said, would you produce a couple demos for me? I've written some songs with Burt Backrack. And I was like, yes, I will. I will do that. I will because I really, uh, I liked her a lot and um and I liked the songs, and I also wanted to have some interaction with Bert. And I had heard from from a friend that he could be um, tough on demos, uh, and so I was welcoming that, you know. And sure enough, I did these demos in my garage and sent them, and he heard them. And then my phone rang, and it was Bert, and he was like, "You fucked this all up, ah. you know. You uh, you did, you know, you didn't you didn't understand the cues. Did you even get the lead sheet? You know, did you notice that there was a cue uh, at this section for uh, rubato, and you completely ignored that, you know? And and uh, <laughs> one number one, I love that he expected that I would be able to like read the lead sheet and decipher the dynamics cues on there, which now thanks to him I can, but, um, well, it's not a thing that's really done. No. Here. And, and, but he did like some things about it. He did like some things about the demo and he liked enough about it that he wanted to meet me when I was going to be in LA. And so when I was in LA it was for the Grammys in 2018 where we won. And, and so, um, before that, I had talked to him a couple more times, and he knew that I was about to sort of um, embark on on an experience that he had had several times that was going to be, um, you know, an important um, um, time marker in my life. And so the day after the Grammys, he invited me over to his house. And I had said a couple months before that, we should write something sometime. He said, well, send me a little snippet of a lyric if you want to. And so I sent him... Um, actually went to guitar center and when people were like trying out their guitars, I wrote a couple stanzas and sent them, sent them to him. Um, and, uh, when I got to his house, um, his manager was driving us up to his house in California. And, uh, and she said, no, Bert, Bert will surprise you. He's quite youthful. You know, he's very, he, he, he's very spry and very, um, um, so I don't know what you're expecting, but he's going to surprise you. And sure enough, she was right. He came out in these cool uh, aviator sunglasses with this like silver moon suit, um, Patagonia like uh, uh, <laughs> you know astronaut uh, jacket on, and wow. um, Nike Airs. And he had just gotten out of a workout, and he came down into the living room, the sunken living room with a piano in it, and. He started, he said, I've been working on a little bit of the thing that you sent me and I'm going to play it for you. And he went into Blue Umbrella, what he had, what he had worked on for that. And I just, 
I had been up most of the night before and it was a very emotional time for me, but just the tears just, just, just filled my eyes and, and just started rolling down wow. my face. I thought it was so beautiful and just, I couldn't believe that I was sitting there, uh, but I could totally believe it too, because I was totally there because I had navigated myself there, uh, out of love, uh, out of, out of passion for this man and for what, uh, the, his viewpoint and what he, um, represented to me, um, which uh, now, now fast forward, we're working on some new things, and he's one of my best friends. I mean, we talk on the phone every, almost every day, every couple wow. of days we talk, and um, he's just relentlessly in pursuit of. He just loves this stuff so much, and he's just in pursuit of greatness all the time. And um, you know, he is a good kind of perfectionist in the sense that when he knows it's right, he doesn't fuck with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but until it's right, it's open season. Right to tweak. It. He's not going to settle, you know. And so it's like I think the bad kind of perfectionism is when it's you got something great and you just start unraveling it. So, so um, I'm learning a lot from him, and I count him as a great blessing in in, in my life. And um, I just love him so much. I found um, him to be a, a exceedingly kind um, and generous and warm warm person. Um, and, um, you know, he had a bit of a reputation for being sort of a stern taskmaster yeah, and kind surly. of a bit, I've heard and a little bit surly. surly. Yeah. And, and, um, I think, you know, my experiences with that side of him have been on reflection a bit funny. Like, um, I remember one time, um, I was at the studio and I had this big long lead sheet in front of me and I'm trying to sort of read along and I'm not a very good reader, but I did, did in church, I did did read a little bit of choral music so I'm trying to like follow these notes on my lead sheet and he's in the control room and I just said Bert you know feel free to chime in like if there's you know anything phrasing wise that you want me to do differently or anything like that and he comes on the thing and he goes phrasing phrasing what about the notes (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know so it's a specific thing for him that he hears. And so if you are the kind of collaborator, I don't know, I'm sure you've got this experience where you hear a melody and you're Mm -hmm. writing with an artist and you play and indicate that melody to them and they go somewhere else with it. Yep. You kind of go, well, I want to get this cut here. So I'm just going to let them take it where they want to take it. That's not how it works with him. You've got to stay on the note. He he brings you back to right. what what the note is supposed to be. So are you more words with him? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. here's the melody, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if your words don't work in here, you're you moving those them. words. Yeah, We're not exactly. moving this melody. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And does he give? So do you usually give him a piece of lyric, yeah. or does he also sometimes give you just music? He does give me just music sometimes, and that's some of my favorite stuff we've done is when he does that, because I can write the words real specifically to the music. Mm -hmm. Uh, But um, yeah, I give him words, and I give him a lot of one-syllable words because they're easier to move around than you know longer ones. With him, I'm sure he's pretty... You really got to work, like you said, it's got to be perfect, right? The way now, it fits in there. Now that we've written 10, 15 songs, I know when I write a second verse, I never give him a whole lyric. I only give him a stanza or two to mm-hmm. start out with. And then that lets him establish the form. And then once the form's established and I can hear it and I give him a second verse, it's got to be exactly the same meter as the first one. It has to be exact. And it has to, it has, it has to sit 
the same way. So now I know how to do it. Whereas the last, you know, the first handful of songs, I would send him a verse that was slightly right. different and, and, and I would bounce back. <laughs> yeah. And he'd be like, which one of these do you want me to use? <laughs> you know? So, yeah. so it's, it's cool. And, and, um, I'm really grateful for, for, for learning that. And it, it's changed me, Chris, because now like I, I sort of, um, I don't know. I see sort of, um, the more kind of improvisational form of, of songwriting um, with less stars in my eyes, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Mm -hmm. What about, <laughs> is, he, is he a stickler for hard rhymes or soft rhymes? Is well, he... I am. I'm a stickler for hard rhymes. Yeah. Um, I like hard rhymes. I want everything to rhyme as hard as it possibly can, but it's not possible all the time, but I, I, I do love that. Yeah, so you you strive for a hard. I we, strive for a hard. Right, rhyme, so when we're yeah. saying hard rhyme, we, we we mean that it rhymes. Yeah, I I think it should rhyme, and I think it's it's sort of it's sort of lazy if it doesn't. Yeah. Know. Now something like mind and time, is that close enough for you, or is that not? <clears throat> yeah, that's probably close enough, but I you know, um, find would be better. Mm -hmm. One but, of the best rhymers, by the way, is Natalie Hemby. You look at her songs. They rhyme so beautifully. Um, and um, yeah, I just wanted to. Yeah, no, that's great. And it is more difficult, but I'm with you. Um, through the years, I've had a couple hard rhymers through here. And at first I'm like, oh man, come on. But you know what? The more I kind of got into it, the, it is more satisfying. Yeah, I think it, so. It's more satisfying. It feels more like you stuck the landing. It's like, yeah. I agree about well, it. Well, look at Dylan. I mean, he's a beautiful rhymer, boy. Wow, he can mm -hmm. rhyme. I mean, he he's a, he he does a sneak attack rhyme where you don't know yeah. what's going to be and yep. comes around the corner at you and it's hard and it's it's a surprise. He he, he might know, be the best. Yeah, and he I might th be the best. Uh Tom Petty. Yeah, I think Petty he got that too. from from Dylan. He would set you up with he would give you a line and then the second line would be a cliche line that you knew was coming. Mm -hmm. you, I mean, you could just hear it coming, and then he says something totally different. You're just like, it just takes your brain and goes, right. Yeah. Like, I wonder wonderful. if you got that from Dylan. I wonder too. I mean, um, I think there was mutual respect there, but I mean, these guys, uh, uh, the greatest, um, both of those, both of those guys. Yeah. I don't. I don't. It's almost like, yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm not going to put myself down, but um, I also know my place, and uh, and I'm not up there in well, the tower of song. <laughs> we're all just trying to get better, man. But I, I think you're way further up than you're than you think. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, I really do. Um, so your Burt Baccarat thing is ongoing. Mm, mm -hmm. So you're going to make more records with yeah, him, or my, more music with him? Yeah, my feeling is, um, you know. Um, I want to, uh, because I feel like I never want to be uh, a thorn in anyone's side, but it, at, at this point it appears that he is enjoying the process. So if he's enjoying it, then, then I want to keep doing it. Um, if, if he gets onto something else or starts working with Elvis on something, getting it's, it's dragging on his time or whatever, mm -hmm. then I don't want to bother him. But, if at this point he seems to be liking it, so I want to do it as much as he does. Bells of Saint Augustine. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. Yeah, that that on one on the record. That one um, might be my favorite too. Uh, I, we've got a new one um, called Moon Over Wichita that um, that I feel like is up there with the Bells of Saint Augustine in terms of um, 
the feeling that it gives you. Yeah. Uh, that was one that Bert gave me the music for and he's humming on it. He mm-hmm. was just, it was a hum that he had. Uh, and, and I, uh, and I wrote the words. So moon over Wichita, did that just come to you? Well, um, it, it was something about what he, again, he was humming. He was sort of a hum that he sent me and he was playing piano and kind of humming mm-hmm. around and it sort of, so, something sort of sounded like that yeah. to me. It was, um, sounded sort of wizard of Oz ish where it sounded kind of magical, but also a little bit dangerous. And so, uh, so you sort of heard it inside his melody. Yeah. A little, a little bit. And I also know that, um, you know, he's from Kansas. And so some of mm. that, some of that, uh, landscape, uh, you know, might, might, uh, mm-hmm. might, uh, inspire something in him. So if I kind of, if I kind of put something that out, it might right. inspire him musically, you know? Moon over Wichita. So two nouns. Are you a big noun guy? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and that's another thing that like I was on to, you know, really before I kind of knew that I was on to that, but then, um, you know, working with somebody like Natalie and seeing how important, uh, nouns are to her, uh, process. Um, I don't know. It just seems like the nouns, the songs that do the best. Like if I look at my BMI statement, (laughs) Uh huh. Wow. <laughs> the okay. songs that seem to do the best are the ones that have nouns in them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just lyrical content, you know. I mean, um, I don't know. It's a. It's really a. It's really hard doing this stuff. I mean, uh, honestly, songwriting is 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 a pain, you know. And you see people, um, you know, doing crossword puzzles and doing Sudoku and like. It, that kind of stuff just hurts your brain. You know, yep. chess, it hurts your brain. Um, yep. I guess the thing is songwriting hurts your brain in a way that you get something at the end of it. You know, you sort of, you get this thing that you, you know, it's like, I mean, I literally really believe like I'm burning calories like at an amazing rate oh, yeah. when I'm writing songs. Oh, yeah. Because I get so hungry when I'm writing songs. I just like, and I feel so awful for the people that have to write with me because I have to like just eat like trail mix you mm-hmm. know in order no. to do it because it, it, it's a pain it is really a pain and i think that um but what's more painful is not doing it yeah because you get the emotional release of doing it yeah but a collaboration in a normal nashville ride especially if you're with people you respect and you're on something that could potentially be something i think the concentration is incredibly i mean i know you've had this a million times just walk out of the room you're just exhausted 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 you might as well have run a half a marathon oh i know and you're you know and my wife is like what's wrong with you you've just been hanging out having fun laughing with your friends all day yeah i'm like yeah it is it are my old uh, one of the first guys i learned from back in the days he used to say songwriting's hard (laughs) yeah he would say that in a really you know, when a dead moment and, uh, Oh, it is. It's, it's awful. Hard, man. It's awful. I it mean, is. But you get, don't you find that you have muscles now where you can, you can definitely, you could, yeah. you can stay on a lyric for two or three hours, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can, you know, um, writing by yourself can sort of be, you, there's a technique where you can, you can punch yourself in line by line, mm-hmm. you know, and that can be, that can be a little bit easier, but I think sometimes that lyrics can be a, tend to be a bit of a necessary evil because if you want your music to go anywhere, you gotta you gotta give it wings, and the lyrics give it wings, you know. Yep. And I love music. I mean, really, at the end of the day, I love playing and I love music and I love sound. But I don't get to play with any of those colors if I don't have any lyrics. 
No, and when you and I don't know if you had a similar experience, but when you moved to Nashville, you figured it out pretty quick. I'm the same guy. I love. I was attracted to sonic things, mm-hmm. you know, and just the sound. And when I wrote songs before I got here, lyric was just sort of something that you sounded good, and you yeah. just threw it in there if it just whatever. Yeah. But this town will force you to to learn to write lyrics if you want to be successful. I mean, yeah. you really have to spend the time because it is. It is necessary. And talking about like all these projects, you know, that whatever they get nominated for Grammys or they win Grammys or whatever, I never felt the sense that I had anything like magnificent, except for maybe one or two moments, you know. And I told Bert's manager that I said, you know, I don't feel like these are the greatest lyrics ever. And I wish I had something just spectacular, you know. And mm-hmm. she said, everybody feels like that. Wow. You know, because he's giving you this just majestic music. You right. should be like, you know, giving him the Mona Lisa in, in, in lyric form. And I just don't have it. <laughs> well, but don't let that stop. You, no. You know? And I think yeah. I think maybe the more you work with him, the that'll go away. Just mm. you know what I mean? That that's part of just the position of growing up with this guy in your head and just loving him so much and his melodies have such respect for him, it's always difficult. To, it's very easy to, to think, well, what I'm doing doesn't measure up to what he's doing. But you got to remember this. Well, it may not, but at least I'm doing no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> Hang on. He, he's spending his time with you. That means he loves what you're doing. There's, yeah. no, there's no way around it. Yeah. Well, I know how to work with him, too, to where I don't, I don't question him. I mean, there was a moment before we were going into the studio for the first time where it was the night before, and I started... Um, reworking some of the things with using drum machines mm-hmm. because I had known he made this record with Dr. Dre where he hmm. Dr. Dre sent him all the beats and then he crafted some songs around those and I was like you know it was 11th hour like 11 o'clock at night and I started working on Blue Umbrella with a drum machine basis and I was redoing the um, scan of the, the the rhythm of the words and everything and I called my mom and I was like mom I think I'm stumbling on something that's like really like a new form of music where it's taking Bert's information that he's giving me and re-synthesizing it into this whole new thing where it's like kind of and my mom was like just put your car in reverse buddy she ah. was like, put it in reverse she was like you're gonna number one it's gonna really fuck with him he's flying here to do this session and you gotta look at his charts and let that be the the law of, of the land. Otherwise, he's going to completely just be like, what am I here for? Why don't you just like get your drum machine and go, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized that um, I got to trust him because um, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And he knows what he does. Yeah. And my job is not to like modernize or something. Or, right. You know, or change right. it in any way. So it's just to, to, to write the words and to sing. What great advice from your mom, man. So is she is she's a serious resource for you. Yeah, you're, you're, my mom and Carla and my wife honestly all are. I'm, I'm a lot of a lot of women in my life that are very bright and very um um know me and uh believe in me and so yeah, I mean, uh it's a good support system. It's a good support system. Everyone needs that. I think all in life, and, writers, but in life, you need people <clears throat> around that you trust that you can talk about stuff, you know? You really do. And, you know, and a therapist and somebody that, you know, you can, you can, I've got a lot of anxiety, you know, um, and I didn't realize that I did because I was, um, 
self-medicating, you know, a lot in the, over the last few years. And so now, you know, with a fairly clear head, I can tell I'm a fairly anxious person. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, one thing that's not, not necessarily appealing about anxious people is they come across as very self-absorbed. I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's quite anxious. Yeah, you know? I'm quite anxious. I think you, you hide it well. Yeah, you hide it. Uh, so that's a process that you need a support. You need a good, yeah. good bunch of people around yeah. you that can just say, bring you back to the moment mm -hmm. can bring you back to the present that can settle you down. And my mom and my, my wife, and these are all people who, um, are well acquainted with my anxiety and can, and can help, uh, help bring it down. Yeah. It, you know what? Here's the other thing. Um, it's the most common thing. It's the most common thing. I mean, yeah. it's like 30% of the U S yeah, it's pretty normal seeks medical help mm -hmm. for anxiety. So it is extremely common. Mm. So, well, let's talk about the future of Daniel Tash and what, uh, can you tell us what you're working on now or is it, uh, I know sometimes you can't. Well, no, I mean, uh, I just finished, um, working with Ian and Casey on another album with her and, um, it's called star crossed and, uh, Love that. it's a, um, you know, it's constructed as a three act play. So there's three groups of five songs that, that, um, sort of follow the arc of the story and you can kind of, you know, I think the vinyl's going to have like a little gatefold sort of, you can sort of lose yourself in the, in the whole experience of it. And it's at the end quite uplifting, but it definitely goes through some, some, some peaks and valleys. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, I'm I'm so proud of it, and uh, it, it's it's it was a record that for me was quite physically uh, demanding because of the work schedule. And then I was trying to get up in the morning and be with my family, and mm -hmm. then and then there were quite late hours, so it was very right. it was one of the most physical uh, uh, things that I've ever been involved in. Uh, but um, man, my grandfather used to say that the intensity of the inter action is directly related to the success of the outcome so if that's the case uh it should be it should do well because it was definitely an intense interaction um and um uh so that was in i think we finished that like late march early april and then um since then i've kind of been working on uh, a couple different things, some songs with Paul Kennerly, who, mm -hmm. you know, used to live here. Um, yeah. We've got a, an al about an album's worth of material that we've been doing. And then uh, um, some some children's, some things with my kids I've been doing. Right, and you have studio. a children's album mm -hmm. that's critically acclaimed also. And then, um, you know, uh, um, I've been doing that thing that I do where when I need some sort of um, re-inspiration in some way when I feel a little depleted as I, I sort of disconnect everything in my studio and find another way to kind of like put it back together and move move furniture around and stuff and my brother's here now and he's kind of helping me with that and wow coming up with like last night I yeah had this, give us some examples well of I that. had this Wurlitzer that was over in the corner and it's kind of has a hum to it and I just sort of it wasn't even plugged in and I just was like, I'm gonna put this over here and I moved it across the room to where some other keyboards were and I plugged it in turned it on and the hum was still there but I was plugging it into this mixer and I just took all the bottom end off of the Wurlitzer. And this thing has so much low end that mm -hmm. you can do that. And it still is quite, quite robust with just the mid range and the top end on wow. it. And the hum was gone and the Wurlitzer was sounding great. And so I had sort of 
rediscovered it, you know, as a as a thing instead of maybe just doing it in logic or doing it with a norm. Right, you were avoiding like yeah. it because yeah, yeah. it was buzzy. I have yeah. we have one that does that too. It's like that low whatever uh, yeah. yeah so you know it's things like that and then just kind of putting things in a different and i'm also kind of a bit you know a bit of a uh, well i'm fascinated with modular synthesizers so i took a class i'm taking a class right now this woman sarah bell reed does an online class called sound and synthesis and it teaches you sound design and teaches you uh how to build different sounds from the ground up using modular synthesizers. And I bought um, some Moog modulars, semi-modulars. Um, and so I'm learning those and it's like back in school again and only it's on Zoom and, you know. Um, but I think the thing about electronic music is that um, a lot of it doesn't, is sort of inconsequential and it's it's fine, but it sort of doesn't. We know as songwriters that, you know, the one thing that, that, that kind of helps um, helps a, a piece of music is if it has a lyric to it. So you can look at the success of a band like Kraftwerk because they actually have really good songs. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody else who might you know have some really good programming or or, or good music is it's like hard to kind of get get anywhere because you can't. It's not really about anything, right? You know? So right. so I'm trying to kind of use the electronic stuff within the context of some music with my kids and with making some songs with it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That's so great. That's so great. I'm really into unique sounds. I mean, like um, I had one of those Mellotrons that people have been getting. It's mm-hmm. like, a, um, and do you have one of those? It's like I a, don't think so. Okay, well, um, they're really nice. Uh, and I was using it for a while, and and then I started to hear the same sounds that I was using on like every song wow. that people were playing me. And, and I was like, oh, I'm not the only, I, I don't know. And, it, and right. maybe it's an ego thing, but I really want to be unique with my sounds because um, uh, I want to give people a mood that they don't hear all the time, you know? And so, um, so I sold it. Uh, and got something that's very difficult to operate. It's called an Odyssey, uh, and um, it's like an aircraft. I mean, there's all, all these switches on it, and basically the sound, you look in this book, and it tells you where to set the switches wow. to make like a trumpet, and you just you sort of set it. And I gave it to my daughter. I said, here, look, just do it like it is in this drawing for me, and she sets them all. It's very fun for her to mm-hmm. to go through. It's like a little puzzle, and then you set them all, and you press a key, and sounds like a trumpet that's awesome man (laughs) so my goal now is to like understand why that that's happening but um i'm running into a little bit of time uh constraint with it because you know it's sort of like a a retired person's thing to thing to do and i'm Mm -hmm. not and i'm not retired right and you're writing you're producing and you have a family how many do you have three children i have three daughters yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. well i think uh as it is obvious that you and I could, could get a cup of coffee and keep this going four hours. And yeah. I would love to do it. Maybe we could do a part two someday. I'm in. And, and catch up with you. I'm in. Really love to do that next season. This is Daniel Tashin. You're listening to Pitch List. And I have really enjoyed this, man. Me too, Thank man. you for your time. Good to be with you. I think that people listening are really going to love this one. All so right. thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pitch List. Produced in partnership with the American Songwriter Podcast Network. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. And if you want, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review. 
For exclusive content from this week's guest and more, you can visit our website at pitchlistpodcast.com or follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. To hear songs written and or recorded by today's guest, check out this week's playlist by finding us on Spotify at Pitchlist Podcast. Plus, don't forget to let us know on social media what songwriter, musician, or music business professional you want to hear from next. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.